you have your Bible, Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. I see all of us old people in here. I heard about these two old women that were walking through a park together, and they're walking through there. One of them had a walker, and you know they're hobbling like we do, and so they're walking through that park real slow, and they pass these two old men sitting on a park bench, and one of those old women turned to them and she said, "They're not whistling; they're wheezing." Bad mistake. <laughs> Tonight, I want to take a few minutes, and I hope I can do what I want to do in a, in a few minutes. There's something that has really been on my heart lately, and it really started several months ago. I'll tell you what it was. When we got word and saw the pictures that Holland Park, Chauncey Good Auditorium was burning, and the old Phillips Chapel was burning, Boy, my heart was so heavy. It was a burden. Brother Lonnie will remember when we were music students at college, every concert, every time you had your semester exams was in Phillips Chapel. I can see it now, Lonnie, standing up on that platform. And Miss Herman, who taught you for a while, I know, and me, she'd be at the piano over here, and the music faculty was out in front of you, and you sang there for every one of those. Boy, my mind went back to all that. In that Phillips Chapel is where my brother Donnie's funeral was. In that Phillips Chapel is where my brother Bradley and Maydell were married. Many wonderful things in there. I had classes in there, all of these things. And good night, how in the world can you recount all the blessings of that old auditorium in Chauncey Good? going there on a Wednesday night and chairs down every aisle and that place packed. Somebody said that uh, they, they report, the report was that Dr. Robertson, in the 42 and a half years he pastored there, baptized 65,000 people. Think about that. That's larger than the population of our county. It's amazing, it's amazing. And I got to thinking about that. And some other things, and I thought, boy, this, that place, that place. And God gave me a thought. Is it God, or is it the place? Is it God, or is it the place? In Genesis chapter 28, if you'll turn there with me quickly, I'm not going to read as much as I was going to. You know the story. Jacob has... Uh, tricked Esau, stolen the blessing from him. When all of this came about, and finally when uh, Isaac had blessed Jacob, and when Esau shows up with his savory meat that he would make for his dad, and he comes to receive the blessing, and Isaac says to him, but I've already blessed Jacob. And Esau said, well, a blessing for me, and he, but it was gone. The blessing, the blessing, not a blessing, the blessing was gone. Esau was mad and threatened to kill his brother. And if you remember the story, 
He was so mad at his mother and daddy. And when they sent Jacob back to his mother's family to get a wife, rather than marry the heathen of the land, Esau went out and married the, the wicked women of the area there to get back at his parents. Let me just say this. Every young person needs to read that story and remember this. You don't ever get back at your parents by marrying the wrong person. You're the one who's going to pay the price for it. But Esau did that, and so now here, Jacob has been sent, and the Bible says in verse 10, and Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night. Because the sun was set, and by the way, they didn't have headlights on their camels. Okay, so when it got dark, you, you were done. You had to stop somewhere, and that's what he did. And it says uh, he, he took stones in that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and he had the dream. You remember the ladder came? The angels going up and down the ladder, all of this. But look, if you will, at verse number uh, 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it, and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land wherein thou liest, uh, liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee. And I'm not going to read it all because I want to get to my point. In verse 16, Jacob awaked and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And if you remember, he set up the monuments, the stone called the place Bethel. The house of God. Surely the Lord is in this place. And the Bible says that he comes down to the end. He made the vow, Lord, if you'll do what you said you would do. I'll serve you all my life. And he makes that vow. I want you to think about this, if you will, because this is a key to what I'm going to be talking about tonight. He said, surely the Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. Bethel. Father, I pray you'd help me tonight. Lord, you know my heart. Lord, I am so keenly aware that without you we can do nothing. We are nothing. We have nothing. Our sufficiency is from you. Our strength is from you. Our wisdom is from you. God, I pray you'd help me. And Lord, as the old preacher said, what you gave me in the dark, Lord, I pray that you'd remind me in the light. Help me, dear Lord, tonight I pray. May our hearts be open and attentive. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I want to make a point of distinction about blessings and the times of blessings. Several years ago I was pastoring in Columbus, Georgia, and for all of our high school grades 7 through 12 we had a camp at the beginning of school year. I don't know if those of you who have schools, a lot of you probably plan to do that, but it was always a big deal. All the kids would go and we had services every night, regular normal camp things, but Boy, all the kids, they loved it. And then you had the bonfire on the last night of camp. And those of you familiar with camp, you're familiar with the bonfire. 
big deal. One year, we had a bonfire every year except one, and that was the year that uh, the administrator of our high school, David McCormick, was trying to get a fire started, and he couldn't because all the wood was wet, so they called that one a bond smoke. We didn't have a fire, just a smoke. That's all we had. You remember that, Michael? There you go. But I remember one year at the beginning of school, it was that right before the kids were going to camp. I heard some of our kids talking in the hallway and said, man, I can't wait to get to camp. Well, if we could just get to camp, we could get our hearts right, and boy, everybody would get right with God. If we just get to camp, camp is the place. And I thought about that. Why do you have to go to camp to get your heart right? You, know what I'm, you understand what I'm saying? Why, why do I have to go to camp? Our kids just got back a couple of weeks ago from the wilds. First time I'd ever been there. Francis and I went over there for a couple of days, and the services were wonderful. And it was, it was a beautiful place. Those of you who have ever been there, you know, boy, it's a magnificent place they've got. But I want to tell you something. The place doesn't mean much. But if God meets you in that place, that means something. When you look at all of these things and you think about places and people have been saved there, I would dare say that every one of us in here, if we have any age at all, we could probably tell you where we were when we got saved. I know where I was saved. The building that I was saved in no longer stands. That's one of the problems of age, Brother Bill. It was on the campus of what is now Pensacola Christian College. My dad pastored the Brent Baptist Church, which is now the St. John's Chapel on that campus. And right behind that building, there was an education building. It was our elementary building, a white block building. I was saved in that building. I could take you back there and show you where in that building I was saved. In fact, I can go back there now and show you within about 10 feet, Mike, where behind that, uh, the parking lot was that building where I was saved. I can tell you the place. But I want to tell you this, the most important thing is not that place. The most important thing is Jesus came into my heart. Amen. The place, the place. Most of us will remember that Esau was the firstborn. We know all the story that took place at this time. All of the story that takes place in Genesis chapter 28 was an effort for Isaac and Rebekah, number one, to protect their son, number two, to protect the godly line. That's what they wanted. We don't want the evil of this area around us to pollute what God is doing. We don't want to hinder the blessing of God. So go back to your mother's family. And Jacob takes off for that, and while he's on, on the journey, we have the beginning of this story right here. In this first part, I talk about a dream, a vision, and a promise. When Jacob got there, he did something. How many of you have ever been on a camping trip? You ever been camping? Okay. When I was a, a kid, we used to love it. Now I will not go camping. It's not happening. They don't make camping stuff for people like me. It isn't happening. But when I was a kid, I can remember, buddy, we'd take a quilt with us 
put it on the ground. That's what we had. I didn't have a sleeping bag. I never saw a sleeping bag till I was probably married. And, you know, we didn't have those. I didn't have a tent. You built a fire out there, laid your little quilt down, and that's what we slept on. But I'll tell you one thing I never did. I never made a bed out of stones. I never got me a big rock and laid it over here and said, oh, this is the most comfortable pillow in the world. My pillow. <laughs> that's not the way it is. is it? I mean, that, that's not what happens, right? That's what Jacob did. You read this, what did he do? He made a pillow out of a rock. And then he had this dream. It's no wonder to me he had a dream. How could you sleep with that? But he has this dream, and God gave him a vision. The vision is the Lord shows him the ladder going up to heaven. The angel's going back and forth. The Lord stands at the top and says, I am the Lord Almighty. The promise that I gave to Abraham, that I gave to your father Isaac, I'm giving to you. This is what I'm going to do. He had a dream. He had the vision. Then he gets the promise in verses 13 through 15. Let me tell you, it doesn't get any better than that. Can you imagine being there and seeing all that? Listen, I've had a lot of dreams, but mine are stupid. I've never had a dream like that. Let me tell you, my wife has some wonderful dreams. She had a dream one time that I died. Woke up and wished it was true. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. She had a dream. Now let me tell you this dream real quick. I'll give you a sum up. She had this dream and we were at my funeral. Is it true, friend? It's true. The casket is up there open. I'm up walking around greeting everybody at my funeral. She told me, she said, I think I dreamed that because no matter where we go, you're going to talk to people and you'll do the same thing at the funeral. So there you go. But anyway, he had a dream and the Lord gave him this wonderful promise. And I, think about it. He said, not only am I going to do what I said, but I want you to know. All the families of the earth are going to be blessed in you. What was that? That was the promise of the Messiah. I'm going to keep my word. What I said to Abraham, what I said to Isaac, I'm giving to you. Wow. Wow. And he wakes up. You know what he says? Surely the Lord was in this place. That wasn't a dream. It was real. That's what he's saying. God met with me. He says, wow, this is the house of God. So he sets a stone for a memorial. And he calls it Bethel. Look at verse 18, if you would. And Jacob rose up early in the morning, took, up, took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon, upon the top of it. Why did he do that? He was memorializing that, honoring that, and he said, I'm calling it Bethel, the house of God. He leaves there and he goes on up and gets to uh, where Uncle Laban lives, Honest Laban, the used car salesman. And he gets up there, and you remember how all of that shakes out. He sees 
beautiful, beautiful lady. And he said, oh, the girl of my dreams. And he goes to Laban and he says to Laban, hey, I want to marry her. Sure, no problem. How do I get her? Just work for me seven years. You can have her. Now, guys, I want to tell you something. Can you imagine working seven years and waiting to marry the most beautiful thing you ever laid eyes on? Can you imagine that? Jacob said, sure. And, and you know what the Bible says? It was as nothing. He worked seven years. Goes into the tent. Wakes up and he got the ugly one. People say, how do you know that? The Bible says this. She was tender-eyed. That means she hurt your eyes. <laughs> when you looked at her, she tenderized your eyes. Then another seven, and finally he gets all the beauty he waited for. And all of the different things that happened, now it's time for him to go back home and show his family what God has done. But the Lord told him, he said, you go back to Bethel. Remember? You find that in Genesis chapter 35. And he goes back to Bethel, verse number 1, God said unto Jacob, Arise, Go up to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. I want to make a statement real quick because I want to get through. When he got back to Bethel the second time, there's an interesting thing that happened. The first thing he did when he got there was not set up some stones for pillars. He built an altar. He built the altar before anything else happened. Before he met with God that time, he builds the altar and he worshiped the Lord. Now you find that in verses 6 through 11 where we, we find out about him. And so he came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan. This is Bethel. He and all the people that were with him and he built there an altar. Now watch this. And he called the name of the place El Bethel. Remember? It was Bethel. This is the house of God. But now when he gets back this time, Jacob has learned something. The house is not near as important as the God of the house. Now he's interested in El Bethel. You say, well, preacher, what difference does that make? I believe it makes all the difference in the world. Because if all we ever want to do is just get back to Bethel, we'll never really know the El Bethel. We're depending on the building. We're depending on the place. Just like the people were depending on the ark instead of the God. I have been in a lot of different places and done a lot of different things and watched people and the common thing about people who have been saved a long time is they like to talk about the past. Do you remember when? Let me tell you a memory I have. I'll never forget it. I can remember when I was a boy in Pensacola, Florida. Dad was pastoring Brent Baptist Church. We had Dr. Hyman Appleman twice in revival meetings there. If you have ever been in that St. John's Chapel, you know what it looks like. And if you haven't, you ought to go just look at it for historical sake. 
We were in there. Dr. Appleman at that time had a man who was his song leader named John Bazzano. John Bazzano pastored later First Baptist Church of Houston, built one of the greatest churches ever. You're talking about a soul-winning guy. John Bazzano was it. Johnny Bazzano would take his people on Sunday afternoon, instead of them going home and eating every Sunday, they did soul winning on Sunday, trying to reach the people that had come to church that Sunday morning. He baptized literally thousands of people. Tremendous church. They were twice with us. I can remember as a boy, seven, eight, nine years old, hearing Dr. Hyman Appleman stand up there in his Russian Jewish brogue that he had, that brilliant man, and preach on the blood of Christ. And men, you'd see the people come out and just walk the aisles and trust Christ as Savior. Bill, I remember one time at Bethhaven, the meeting when Dad was up there. What was it? 200 and something people were saved in that meeting? I think that's the one when Bill Baker got saved. Holy moly, it was unbelievable. I remember at Tennessee Temple, Dad and Fred Brown were preaching. My dad preached a message on religious but lost, and over 200 were saved that night. Man, I look back on those, wow. Wow, what a day. If we could just go back to that place. Let's go back to that place. Our church, when we started, we started in a wedding chapel. Well, we actually, the first two weeks, we were in a garage. Let me tell you something. I knew at the outset I was going to have trouble in our church. I knew at the outset. Our first convert was a dog. I'm not kidding. I'm telling you the truth. The couple that we used their garage, they had a little dog that had been hit by a car and he could not sit like most dogs. When he sat down, he sat straight up just like that. I preached. The dog was outside. Somehow the dog got inside. I gave the invitation and I was praying at the invitation. You know how you do preachers. You know what I'm saying. You finished. And, Dear Lord, you know, and you're going through the real heartfelt God open our hearts. And I felt something on my fingertips, right here. And I opened my eyes and looked down. That dog was licking my fingers. I said, this is going to be a bad omen right here. <laughs> but when we went into the wedding chapel and we met there for five years, bought our property, paid it off, built our building, all those kind of things, in that wedding chapel, we packed that wedding chapel out. I mean, we had people come in, there was no place to sit, they'd leave. When we moved into our auditorium, our new auditorium that we had, brand new, boy, most of the people were so excited. But there were some people who came and said, you know, I miss the wedding chapel. I said, you miss the barn? It was a real barn. I'm not kidding, a barn. The floor had slats, wooden slats that you could see in between it. We would come in there for service and there would be mice running the rafters during the service up here. Oh, I missed that wonderful wedding chapel. Not me. What were they thinking about? They weren't thinking about the wedding chapel. They were thinking about what happened 
at the wedding chapel. And we find that here, A.B. Simpson, he was a great preacher of the late 1800s and early 1900s. He wrote a song that illustrates what I'm trying to say. Once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling, now it is his word. Once his gift I wanted, now the giver owned. Once I sought for healing, now himself alone. All in all forever, Christ only. I'll sing everything in Christ and Christ in everything. Is it God or is it the place? Let me give you one more illustration and I want to apply it to us. Do you remember in the New Testament there were some characters in the Bible that are just awesome? Peter, James, and John are linked together often. Sons of thunder. They were the inner circle with Christ. If you remember, when he went to pray in the garden, they were the three that went with him further than anybody else. The inner circle. On the Mount of Transfiguration, who was there? Peter, James, and John. They were there. There's an interesting passage of Scripture in, um, in Matthew 17.4. The Bible says this, Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be there. It's good. In Luke chapter 9, said the same thing. In Mark 9, Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. In Luke chapter 9, we find in verses 23 through verse 35, the entire story of what happened. And if you remember, Peter, they see the transfiguration. And then after they have seen that, Peter says this, it was good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles. Let's build a tabernacle to Moses. Let's build a tabernacle to Elijah. Let's build a tabernacle to Jesus. Three tabernacles. And then let's dwell here. Now the Bible gives you something interesting about that because it says, Peter said that because he didn't know what to say. Let me just tell you this. When you don't know what to say, shut up. He spoke, he should have been quiet. He didn't know what to say. He wouldn't, how would you know what to say at an awesome time like that? How do you respond to seeing the Lord Jesus Christ transfigured into the glory before you? How would you know what to say other than just worship him? But Peter had to have something to say. Let's build three tabernacles. Boy, he was so excited of what they had seen. And there it is. He opens his mouth. He says that. Build three tabernacles. But a voice came out of heaven. And the father said, This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. You know what the father was saying? This place means nothing. It means nothing. Can you imagine Peter, James, and John saying, hey guys, I'm going to tell you, we need a revival. Let's go back to the Transfiguration Mount. I remember several years ago, during Southwide Baptist Fellowship, it was being held at a place that had supposedly had a revival. 
Whether it really did or not, I, I don't know, but that was the idea. There was a real revival that broke out there. Supposedly, there was a certain song that was attached to that revival. And I'll never forget, the reason I remember all this is because that year, I was vice moderator sitting on the platform when this happened. We're all up there on the platform, the thousands of people out here, and they're trying to reconstruct a revival. So they had the people singing the song that had been sung when others were affected by it. If we could just sing this song, if we could get everybody just to join in, oh, we would, we would rekindle that revival. You will never rekindle in a place. It's the business of God. We need Him. Back in days gone by, they would meet under brush arbors and thousands were saved in brush arbors without any building. In the days of men like D.L. Moody, when he went over into England, they got on the hillsides and thousands gathered. They would lift their voices up and speak in the open air and the people would hear and come to Christ by the thousands. What are you going to say? Oh, if we could just get back to that sheepfold. Oh, if we could just go back to that pasture. Let me tell you something. I do have special places in my memory. I could say, oh, if I could just go back to Brent Baptist Church. The days of my youth, the place where I was saved, the place I was baptized. I remember those days of blessing. Oh, if we could just go back to Holland Park Baptist Church. Oh, if we could just go back in the fire of the music. The greatness of the ministry, walk in the auditorium knowing something is going to happen if we could just go back to that place. I could say, oh, I, I wish I could go back to Faith Baptist Church in Pensacola. I remember the day when that Canadian evangelist preached a message on the face of Jesus. Never forget it. Brad and Maydell were there. Bradley was working with my dad at the time, and he asked my brother's wife, Maydell, he said, Maydell, I want you to come and sing. Maydell got up there and started trying to sing, and all she could do was weep. So he said to my brother, he said, Son, you come and sing with her. And Brad got up there, and they stood there and wept together. There was no singing. But as a 13-year-old boy, seated about three-quarters of the way back on this side, Boy, God did something in my heart. And I stepped out of that aisle and I walked down to the altar and I can take you and show you the exact spot today where I said, God, I'll do anything you want me to do. You just show me, I'll do it. I said, oh, if I could just go back to Faith Baptist one more time. If I could just go back there, I know that feeling would be there again. I want you to know what we need is God. We don't need a building. We live in a day where the things that we hold to are being turned upside down. The foundations of our nation are crumbling. We see all this going on and people are wringing their hands. Oh, oh. I love what Dr. Adrian Rogers said. He said the Holy Trinity never meets in emergency session. 
If you think God is in heaven, wringing his hands, wondering what's going to happen, you are sadly mistaken. Our faith is in him. We used to sing the chorus, Christ is all I need. Christ is all I need. All, all I need. He was crucified. For me he died. Christ is all I need. When in your life did it become more about Jesus than about you or your circumstances? When did it become him? Him. I began to think about something. If you and I could get a glimpse of this, I think it would help us. I've read my Bible many times just like you. I challenge you to do something. I challenge you to search the scripture and find one time where Paul said, oh, if I could just go back on that Damascus road one more time. Paul spent more time in a jail cell that he did trying to find the Damascus road again. I never find anywhere in the Bible where Abraham said, oh, if I could just get back up on top of Moriah one more time. If I could just go back up there one more time. Or Moses say, if God would just let me go top of Sinai one more time. You don't find those things in the Bible. You don't find Daniel saying, God, let me go back into the lion's den. Oh, that was presence was so wonderful there. Or the Hebrew children, the fiery furnace. You don't find that. Why not? Because it's not the place. It's about God. It's about Him. I want you to think about this, if you would. And I am literally almost done. I wonder how many of us, and by the way, this is not an accusatory, it's a question, would really have in our minds what Paul said, that I may know him. I want to know him. I don't want to know the place. I don't care how many of the building seats. I don't care what the walls are made of. I want to know him. It's about Jesus. It's about him. Our church is a participant in a program that Bearing Precious Seed had. It's called Seedline. And we've done it, I think, for the last four or five years. I don't remember now. This year we did it again, and um, we would have done a lot more, but they didn't send us enough covers. We, we did, I think, 37,000-something. We put John and Romans together that we put together in two days, and... But here was the deal to me about that. Not just the joy of putting together Bibles, but I want you to listen. This is, this is what thrills me, Brother Garvin. Those Bibles are going in a part of a project where they're trying to get 250,000 John Romans going to northern Italy. It's written in both German and Italian. And we were putting those together for that project. The standard thought is that for every New Testament, John and Romans is given out, it touches the hands of seven people. Think of that. Seven people will get it. And out of that seven, one will come to Christ. 
That's the statistical average. I told a young man in our church, he was stapling next to me as we were stapling those together. And I gave him 1 John chapter 1. John said, And our hands have handled of the word of life. Now those Bibles are going somewhere where they can know the word of life. I just want you to think. It's all about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It isn't about me. It isn't about you. It's not about this beautiful auditorium. It's about Jesus. When we walk out of here, I don't want in my head to be, oh, if I could just go back to northern Kentucky one more time. No. Oh, God. If you'll just touch us one more time. We need him.